Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. We are continuing a series today called Verified Fan or Follower. You see that blue check mark. You know where we're coming from. I think that there's a lot of people in Christianity and in this modern-day Christianity that are fans of Jesus. But how I many you know there's a difference between being a fan and a follower? And I think God is looking for some real and true followers of him that will embody what a follower looks like. And so I read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 43 to you a moment ago. And uh, that first part was this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship the breaking of bread and the prayers, and what followed them, signs and wonders, all came upon every soul. I was looking into this word of devoted. In the Greek, it is the imperfect tense, meaning a continual devotion or an ongoing devotion, a devotion that doesn't stop. And I think sometimes we're devoted to God for a moment or on Sundays But it says that this early church, the people, they were fully devoted, an ongoing devotion, a a continual devotion. And that's what God is looking for. That's what true followers embody. Now, I thought it would be interesting. I, I was thinking about current Christianity and modern Christianity. And let's be real, there's a lot of fans, but not followers. I know not in this room. You guys are all true followers. But in modern Christianity, there's a lot of fans. And so I thought it would be interesting if I gave a little modern twist based on modern Christianity of this scripture, Acts 2.42. You see, if I think we put it in modern Christianity terms, comfortable Christianity terms, it would be this. They devoted themselves to themselves. And they sought comfort and material possessions, and they got what they wanted. I think if we were to define many current, comfortable, modern Christians, it would be this. You see, we say we love Jesus. We claim to be followers of Jesus, but we're devoted to ourselves, to our desires, to our wants, to our needs, And so today, I'm just going to let you know, the 8.30 service, they weren't ready for it. Because I came for them. And I'm coming for you. But it's not just for you, it's for me too. You see, the Lord this week convicted me. Because I'm talking to you today about devotion. It said they devoted themselves. They were fully devoted. And I think we're all looking for that magic pill to get closer to God. That magic potion to hear God's voice, and I'm here to tell you there is a potion, and it's simply devotion. If you want to hear God's voice, have more purpose, walk with more power, walk in the Spirit of God, you have to be fully devoted to your Savior. Not a fan, a follower. I wanted to illustrate this by looking at a typical week for you and me. So watch this. This is what a week looks like for us. There are 168 hours in the week. 
If you multiply 7 times 24, Cindy's really good at math. She could do this for us. 168, she nailed it. 168 hours. Now, how many know you need to sleep? And so that takes up a third of our week sleep. One third of our week. I'm an eight-hour guy. Where are my eight-hour people? I need eight hours of sleep. Where are those of you that operate with like four hours or less? Psychotic people. They are psychos. A lot of hands went up. Y'all need Jesus. I'm praying for you. But me, I need eight hours. I'll, I'll go nine. I go hard. My wife will tell you. Um, I am blessed to sleep. But that's a third of your week. Can you believe that? A third of your week is sleep. Then there's another third of your week. I mean, it's already designated to work or school. If you're a full-time student or you have a job, which many of you do, hopefully, um, a third of your week is gone. So, so, boom, what does that leave us? Two-thirds are gone. What does that leave us here at the end? We have 56 hours remaining. 56 hours in our week. Now, watch this. The average person spends 17 hours a week on social media. Throw it up there. Boom. Now you're down to 39 hours. So after social media, after, you know, blue checks and reels and Insta chats and, I don't, you know, all the stuff the kids are doing these days, TikToks, you have 39 hours left, 39 hours to exercise, to pay your bills, to engage in your hobbies, to work out, extracurriculars, go to dinner, go on a date, spend time with your kids, Netflix, stream, whatever, 39 hours left. And here's what we typically give to God. I just want to show you. One hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning from 10.15 to 11.30. So here's your week. That's what we give God. And we go, I'm devoted. I am so devoted to God that I give him that much of my week. Now, let's be real. Since COVID, many Christians don't even give him that in their week. Church attendance is at an all-time low right now. They might give him once a month, twice a month. We could cut that in half. And yet we say and we declare, I am devoted. Now I want to ask you guys some questions today. I want you to actually raise your hand and respond. How many want to be closer to God? You're like, I want to get closer. Don't raise your hand if you don't mean it, okay? Closer to God, they're like, okay, everyone's raising their hand, I'll do it. How many people want to be better Christians this year than they were last year? How many people want to be more like Jesus today than they were yesterday? You see, there is a potion. It's called devotion. It says the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The breaking of bread, the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done among them. I think about this, and I think about how devoted we really are. You see, I say I'm devoted 
to God. I say I'm devoted to Jesus, but have I given him so little of my week that if I was honest with myself, my devotion is to a whole lot of other things. So when I redid that scripture, it probably resonates a little harder with us now. When I go, they devoted themselves to themselves. And they pursued comfort and material things. I'm not coming for you, church, because I'm with you. You see, I talk a big game of devotion, but often if I really looked at my life and my week, I wonder, am I as devoted as as I say I am, as I think I am? And so today, I'm not here to make you feel guilt or condemnation, but I am here to challenge you. I'm here to call you higher because I believe you all are going to leave this room going, no, I need to be more devoted than I was when I came here today. And that is my challenge to you today. God is looking for a devoted church. Why? Because he needs a devoted church to go out into their world, into their marketplace, into their jobs, with their families, in their neighborhoods, with the power of God on their lives. And I'm telling you, if that is what your week looks like, if that is all you give God, You cannot walk with the full power of God that he has intended for your life. But when you start to say, no, I got God here, and 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 I got God here. Let me tell you something. That's when the power of God begins to be released in you. And you walk into every sphere of life with a different perspective. And that's what devotion looks like. And so I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm here to challenge you, to call you higher. Because devotion, I believe, starts today. And it looks like just a little more tomorrow. It doesn't mean that tomorrow, okay, so I got to pray an hour a day now, Caleb. Dang. If that's what you shoot for tomorrow, you'll probably fail. But it looks like just a little more pursuing of God in my life tomorrow. And a little more the next day. And incrementally, and before you know it, you establish habits of devotion to God. And the next thing you know, you're closer to God than you've ever been in your life. You're more in touch with his spirit than you've ever experienced in your life. His presence is on you more than you've ever had in your life. And you're walking in the purpose that he intended you for. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because in this series... We actually are looking at letters to the early church from the Apostle Paul. So last week I looked at uh, Ephesians and as Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Today we're looking at Corinthians and as uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he actually gave us an example of what not to do. And he did it here in 1 Corinthians 10. He's writing to the early church and goes, look, just look at the early nation of Israel. When they left Egypt and what their life looked like, you see, they weren't devoted to God. They were really devoted to themselves. So watch this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 1 through 10 and then verse 31, so stick with me. Uh, a, little, a few more verses than normal, but you can follow along on this giant Bible behind me. Here we go. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So this is, um, he's referencing them walking through the Red Sea, them being led by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. 
the early nation of Israel. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Do you see that? We don't see the name of Jesus in the Old Testament in this early story in Genesis, Exodus. And yet Jesus was there. Paul says it, Jesus was there. You know, the scarlet thread of Jesus' blood runs from Genesis to Revelation. He's there in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. Nevertheless, with most of them, everybody say most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. So this is why you guys need to pay attention. It says this is an example for us, for you, for me. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is what devotion looks like. That everything you do is for the glory of God. That every step I take, every job I walk into, every energy that I put forth, every conversation I have, every connection I make is for the glory of God. You see, I'm not just walking for the glory of God on Sunday mornings or when I'm doing church ministry or when I'm preaching uh, from the Bible. No, I'm walking in the glory of God for the glory of God every single thing I do. The lie of this culture is that what I'm doing right now is more holy than what you do Monday through Saturday. No. Everywhere I go, I'm doing it for the glory of God. When I coach the trash pandas, I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm not playing with you. I'm on a mission out there. Not just to win games. Although I'm about that winning. You know what I'm saying? But no, I'm on a mission for him. For the king. I'm doing this for the glory of God. So how many of you know, as it relates to devotion, a fan is led by comfort, but a follower is led by devotion. And I wonder how many Christians are in the room right now, and if you were honest or watching online, you would say, I've probably been led by comfort as a follower of Jesus. And today I was sent to challenge you that you would change the narrative of your life and go, no longer will I be led by comfort. No, I'm led by devotion. I'm doing everything in my life for the glory of God. Every single thing. You see, it's not just Sunday mornings that are for the glory of God. It's not just when you pray or read your Bible that's for the glory of God. It's everything for the glory of God. So I want to, us to underline a couple things. If you had your Bible, you could underline this. It's going to be underlined on the screen for us. Verse number 5 of chapter 10 said, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was 
not pleased. Do you see that? Most of them, God was not pleased. And can I be real with you? I mean, this is, this is uncomfortable for me to say. But I really think that there's probably moments in our church when God is looking down, he's saying, man, with most of them, I'm not really that pleased. I mean, I'm even thinking that about my life. Caleb, right now, you've been comfortable. And I'm not really pleased. Now, doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean he's given up on you. Doesn't mean he's not still challenging you. But it does mean that right now, maybe, if you really took an inventory of your life, God is maybe not pleased with it. Because you've been pursuing comfort over devotion. And today, God wanted to shake us up, church. Ooh, you thought I was gonna, you were going to come here and just get your ears tickled and get encouraged and leave going, oh, that was so great. And, and God's like, no, I'm messing you up. I'm telling you, I got more for you. I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you higher. God's got a greater plan for your life. He's challenged you out of your comfort zone to get uncomfortable for him. I'm here to tell you, real Christianity is not comfortable. When you're really walking with Jesus, it's a daily discomfort where God is asking more of you than you would be willing to give in the natural. God is asking more of you to step outside of your comfort zone than you would ever do in your flesh. But fans are led by comfort. Followers are led by devotion. Now, we, we have to look at this. It said... Go back to that underlined scripture, with most of them, God was not pleased. And so I want to ask you, will you be most or will you be the few? And we have to learn from the nation of Israel because Paul actually is teaching the church and saying, this is an example for you to not follow. This is what not to do. How I many you know I love seeing things of what to do, but I also love knowing what not to do. And Paul's going, this is what not to do. He says first, they all had the same thing. Because here's what I found in the church. Um, go, go to verse number two for me. The underlined ones. Do you have the underlined ones? It says they all were baptized into Moses. Go to the next one. And all ate the same spiritual food. Next one. And all drank the same spiritual drink. Next one. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. So what is it saying to me? It's saying they're in the same environment, the right environment, right place, right time, the presence of God is literally leading that. I mean, a, a, can you imagine a pillar of fire by night? A cloud by day leading you? Can you imagine you get stuck at a sea and it just parts and you walk across on dry land and then, and then the Egyptians are coming for you and their chariots and their horses are like, they're going to take us out, they're going to kill us, and then it just collapses on them. They all die and you see this? Right place, right time, right environment, right spiritual food, baptized in the same baptism, all these things. And yet with most of them, God was not pleased. So I, I, I'm here to say you can be in the right place, which I think church is. You can be receiving the same word, 
spiritual food that everyone else around you is receiving, and yet your response to it matters. Because what was the problem is that the Israelites' hearts, even though they were in the right place, right time, experiencing the right things, in the right environment, they kept their hearts far from God. They did not allow themselves to be fully devoted to God. And if you don't devote yourself fully, you will reap the results of what a fan looks like. And you know what? I'm not even saying that you won't go to heaven. I'm not saying that. Like, I'm actually telling you, you could be a comfortable Christian and, and not fully devoted, and God may not really be pleased with how you're living, and you still go to heaven because his grace is sufficient, church. And you don't have to be perfect, and he washes you clean. And, and so praise God for that. You still go to heaven. But I'm here to tell you, you won't live the fullest life. I'm here to tell you, you'll walk through life feeling empty still and purposeless still and wondering why you don't feel closer to God still. And God's going, listen, all I need is devotion, and I will set your life on fire in a good way. And I'm, I'm being real with you because I've been comfortable in my faith, even as a pastor. I've had seasons of comfort in my life as a pastor, and I can be honest with you, those seasons, while comfortable, are often meaningless. But when God wrecks me and gets me out of my comfort zone, and I go, God, I'm fully devoted, and I'm going to do what is extraordinary and uncomfortable, and I get out of what is the natural for me, let me tell you, there's something that comes alive in my soul and my spirit. And I walk... With belief and faith for greater things, and I watch them come to pass. And I just believe God wants more for your life than what a lot of you are experiencing. And it's because we bought into this comfortable fan Christianity, and God's going, No, I'm calling you to be a fully devoted follower. So, what does it say? What can we learn from them? It says, First, the examples is that they desired evil. Said, so don't desire evil as they did. Now, here's what I'm looking at and I'm seeing in our culture and our world right now. The more convoluted the world is getting, the more clear the church must be. And I think that None of you in here would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm desiring the evil things of this world. <laughs> you just wouldn't say that. But what's happening is the world and culture is desensitizing you to the evil things. And so when you are desensitized and numb to the evil things, you begin to embrace that which you wouldn't even have thought was evil and yet is evil in your life. And so you're watching things on, on TV, on television, in movies, and you're so desensitized that you don't even realize you're giving access to evil things in your life. The evil things are around you and in you, and you don't even know that you're desiring them, but then you want more of that. And you'd say, I don't desire evil things. But if we took inventory 
some of the evil things that you would have never called evil things today, you would have called evil things five years ago or 10 years ago or when you first got saved, but you become numb and desensitized to it because culture has done this to you. And so I wanted you to take inventory of that which you have accepted as not evil and yet which is evil in your life today. Because how many know the truth sets us free? The truth is what God says. Religion is what man says God says. But the Bible is the best expression of what is truth on this earth. And I believe the church of the future is going to be a Bible-thumping church. Oh, I'm going old school on you today. I know I'm getting older too, so I can go old school now. Uh, You see the grays. They're coming in. I believe the church of the future is a Bible-thumping church. The church of the future is in love with the Word of God, passionate about the Word of God, declares the Word of God, places their life on the Word of God. Their worldview is not led by what culture says. Cultural um, inclinations. No, their worldview is led by the Word. The only way that you and I cannot desire evil things is when we make the word of God what we desire above all else. When we make the word of God what we live our life on and place our life on and place our foundations on above all else, it says they desired evil. And you're out there going, I don't desire evil, but I think we've become numb to the evil things. The second thing that it says they were, it says that they were idolaters. It says, do not be idolaters, verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. Now watch this. This is actually a description of their idolatry. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Wait a second. Because I think we think of idolatry from this day, you know, thousands of years ago. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. They worshiped like that golden calf and carving images, wooden images, metal images. Like, yeah, yeah, that's idolatry. We're not, we don't worship idols today, and yet it says that they sat down in description of what their idolatry was. It says that they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What is it saying? They engaged in mundane things, and those mundane things became idolatry in their life. I mean, throw up this breakdown. God is at the end. And I go, I'm fully devoted to God. I give him one hour and 15 minutes of my week. But dang, I watched Memphis beat Minnesota the other night for two and a half hours. Shut up, Patrick Beverly, finally. Basketball fans know what I'm talking about. I watched, you know, that FIFA soccer game the other day for two and a half hours. Man, I... I uh. I spent my whole night with my wife. It was great. Eating and drinking. And throughout our week, we're engaging in things that aren't really devotion to God. I'm not saying you can't watch sports. I watch sports. I'm not saying your kids shouldn't play sports. My kids play sports. I'm not saying you can't eat and drink and be merry. The Word of God actually says it. But I am saying that are these things play? Are the things of this world, the mundane things, have they overtaken your devotion? Like is God just an afterthought during your week? 
and it's a checkbox on Sunday mornings. You're like, I'm verified. <laughs> Follower of Jesus. Sunday at 10, 15, I did it. One hour, 15 minutes, boom. Love you, Jesus. I'll see you next week. That's what a fan does. And I think that we have more idolatry in our lives today than we would actually admit or care to admit or want to admit. In fact, the start of this year, the Lord told me to write down, these are the things that, uh, goals I'm setting for myself this week. And, and I set all these goals, like five goals. And, uh, and one of them was, I was only going to watch TV two to three times a week at night. And the other one was that I was going to write every day for 30 minutes. And then the third one was that I was going to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning so I could spend time with God and prayer. And, and I realized I'd done none of them. And this week as I was preparing God showed me my notebook, and here's the things you said you were going to do, and you wrote down five things, and Caleb, you've done none of them. You know why? Because you've become comfortable. My God, I'm still reading my Bible. You're comfortable. God, I'm still, like, starting my day in worship and prayer. Comfortable. I'm calling you to more, Caleb. And God's saying to you, I'm calling you to more. There's idolatry in our lives that's hindering us from the person of God, the presence of God, and it's holding us back from giving glory to God in all things in our lives. It goes on. It says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Sexual immorality. We don't talk about this a lot in the church. Verse number eight. It says they were sexually immoral. Listen. Today's day and age, it is one of the greatest challenges that we face as followers of Christ. The hyper-sexualized culture that we live in with access to everything sexual at, the, at our fingertips. All it takes is one click, a couple clicks, and, and you can access anything. The, th the movies and the shows and what is being uh, pushed upon us, we're watching it. And, and then we wonder, why am I lusting in my mind? Why am I lusting towards people that I see? Why am I lusting online? Because we're filling our minds. And so my challenge to us, church... Is that as devoted followers of Jesus, we would fight against the hypersexualized culture and protect our eyes, protect our minds, protect our spirits. Why? Because I believe it is hindering the power of God upon us. How can we fully walk in the power of God when we have hidden sin in our life? You're insecure in your your. Uh, power, you're insecure in your faith, you're insecure in your walk. Why? Because you have sin hidden. You have sin in the background. You have sin underneath the surface. Why would you be confident as a follower of Jesus? You can't be. And so what I'm seeing is a bunch of insecure Christians, and, and, and we don't want to talk about it, and we don't want to bring it up, and we don't want to confess it. We don't have accountability in our lives, but I'm telling you, the hidden sin, the sexual immorality of our culture is going to continue to hinder the signs, the wonders, the power, the presence of God being released in our lives. And I can stand up here, not perfect, but I can tell you, that I have eliminated sexual immorality from my life. And so I walk with confidence as a pastor, a preacher of God's word, a husband that loves Jesus, a father that leads my children in Jesus. Why? Because I don't have this hidden sin underneath the surface making me insecure in my faith. 
And I'm not here to stand up here pridefully and go, look, I conquered it. No, I'm not perfect. But I am here to say, because I've protected my eyes, guarded my life, had accountability set up, I confess when I do fall short, let me tell you, those things aren't holding me back from the faith and the power that God has called me to. Sexual immorality that the people of Israel had fallen into. And I think the church today is getting sucked into as well. It goes on, it says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did or were destroyed by serpents. Putting God or Jesus to the test is the next thing that the people of Israel did. Now, some of you are like, well, I mean, I don't put God to the test. You know what I think it do, it's talking about? And it's actually connecting to, which is the last one. It says they grumbled. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. I think these two kind of go in tandem together. Put God to the test, grumbled. Because let's be real. We've all had things not go our way. We've all had dreams and desires that didn't come to pass. Some of you are here today and you go, I got the short end of the stick. I didn't grow up in the family that other people grew up in. I I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't have anyone pay for my school. Uh, I I have tons of debt. Uh, I I didn't have a good example of what a follower of Jesus looked like. I didn't have a good example of what a father should look like or a mother should look like. And all these things. How many know we could complain about a lot if we really thought about it? But what I believe as as the Israelites did, they grumbled and complained as God provided for them day in and day out. They said, you keep giving us the same thing to eat. We're sick of this. And then he gave them something else. And like, now we're sick of that. They put God to the test. They grumbled and complained against God. And here's what I believe God wanted to challenge us with church today. Is that we would walk in a spirit and an attitude of gratitude every single day. You got breath in your lungs. You got something to be thankful for. You got clothes on your back. You got something to be thankful for. You woke up this morning and and, and you're here in church. I want to tell you, you got something to be grateful for. So when we walk in a spirit of gratitude, not grumbling, I believe that's when God can release his power in our lives. But how many of us walk bitter, angry, defeated, discouraged because things didn't go our way? Because we didn't have the same privilege that someone else had. And, And privilege is a real thing. But we can't stay in the framework or the mental framework of what wasn't fair. But we say, God, I'm gonna do the most with what you've given me. That's what devotion looks like. I'm doing all for the glory of God with what you've given me. I'm bringing everything I have, the little that it is. As a widow brought her two mites, I'm bringing that to you, God. Do something with it, and he will. I think that our mentality matters more than we realize. I was at practice this Thursday with my little trash pandas. And we were on a six-game losing streak. And mentally, they were discouraged and defeated. And so I sat them down before batting practice. I said, we're going to have story time with Coach Caleb. And so I told them about my basketball coach in college and how he would have us visualize success. So he would have us visualize. We'd have to close our eyes at practice. We'd visualize ourselves making the layup. Visualize ourselves 
running the play. Visualize ourselves shooting the three and make it. We visualize ourselves being successful. And as we would visualize, he would, he would say to us, now I want you to do the same thing in the game. And so I got my team. I said, I want you all to close your eyes. I said, I want you to visualize you getting a hit. And I want you to tell me where it's going. And so I went down the line. I said, where's it going? Their eyes are closed. And the first kid's like, all I can see is me striking out. I said, we'll come back to you. I go to the next kid. I said, what do you see? And he goes, all I can see is me popping it up to the pitcher. I said, we'll come back to you. And I went down line. It took like three or four of them. All they were seeing was their failure. They literally could not visualize success. And then finally I got to the fourth kid, and he's the biggest kid on our team. He hits bombs every time. I think he's batting like 900 this year. And he said, I see it going over the fence in left field. And I said, that's realistic, bro. Yes, amen. And I went to the next kid. He said, I'm hitting it in the gap between short and third. And then I went down and they all were seeing it. And then I went back to the original two and they said, I'm hitting a line drive up the middle. And then on Saturday at the game, I watched as every one of them hit the ball. We were on strikeout central, strikeout watch. And they got to the plate and it was hit after hit, rip after rip. And I'm going, what is happening? Let me tell you, the power of visualization, the power of belief. Today, I wonder if there's anyone in this place who has visualized all the failures, all the negativity, all the times you've fallen short, all the moments in your life when you weren't all that God wanted you to be. And today, I'm actually calling you to be more, but I need you to believe it too. You see, Jesus brought you here because he believes in you. And he wanted you to believe in you. But here's the thing. You're not just believing in you. You're believing in the one in you. Because it's greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's not just about my strength or my ability or my holiness or my righteousness. It's the fact that I am a vessel of the spirit of the living God. The same one that conquered death, hell, and the grave lives in me. The same one that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. So how could I not believe for greater things? How could I not believe that I can do all things for the glory of God? Devotion, church. So how can we be the few in the land of the most? You see, there's power of devotion. I want to give you some practical things. I'm going to close with this. Devotion takes determining. I need you to visualize it right now. We have to determine a time. We have to determine a place. And we have to determine a plan. Because here's what I found. Devotion. Throw up that first graphic. God's at the end. I think that so often in our faith, we just wake up and hope we'll be close to God. Hope will grow in God. Hope we'll hear God's voice. Hope that God will speak to us. Hope that God will release his spirit into us. But how many you know, you have to determine some things so that you're not walking on a hope, but you're walking on the truth of what you've prepared for. 
God is looking for you to determine a time, a place, and a plan for how you're going to connect with God. It can't just be this. This is not enough for you to walk as fully devoted followers of Christ. No, I'm going to implant the word of God here in my life, and 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 here in my life. I'm implanting the word of God, the presence of God, time with God throughout my day. Chrissy and I wake up every morning. She's got her little perfect nook for spending time with Jesus. Some of you ladies are like this. You need it picture perfect. It's Instagrammable. And she's got a little perfect nook where she spends time in the presence of God and prays and reads her Bible. I, I don't I have to operate like that, but I'll tell you this. Our mornings, we've determined that we don't turn on the news. We don't put on the radio. We're not filling our house with anything but the presence and the worship of God. And so every morning, the first thing on the TV is worship. And worship is blaring our house. And my kids come down to breakfast every morning with, Jaira, you are enough. You know, every morning. They're like, Dad, again? I'm like, yes. He's our provider. He's our healer. He's our Savior. I want my kids to be so inundated with the presence of God, the person of God, the power of God, the, the, the worship of God, that that's all they know. They don't know any different. They just think, my dad listens to the Bible every morning because they hear me listen to my Bible. They think, my dad starts every morning in worship and prayer because they see me and they hear me worshiping and praying every morning. But I've determined it for my family. I've determined it for my life. And I've watched as that devotion has inundated and, and, and trickled down into my children. That's what he has for you, church. So I want to ask you today. Followers are the few in a land of fans who are the most. Just as Israel, it says with most of them, God was not pleased. I believe God is raising up a remnant in Project Church that are not the most, but they're the few. They're the few devoted, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who he can use and release signs and wonders and awe in this world. Heads bowed, eyes closed here today. You say, Caleb... I heard you talking about being a follower, but if I was honest, if I was really honest, I know I've just been a fan. Or maybe you say, I haven't been a fan. I've been a hater of Jesus. But today, God brought you here because he wanted to release in you the truth that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. So you're hearing you say, Caleb, I've been running from God. I've turned my back on God. I've been fighting the voice of God, the will of God, and today I'm done running. I'm done just being in fandom or I'm done being a hater. Today I'm stepping into fully devoted followership of Jesus Christ. I want you to lift your hand. If that's you, go. Hands going up all around the room. Come on, come on, come on. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, all around the room. Come on, church. Give God some praise for all these that have lifted their hands. Would you pray this with me? Everyone in here, repeat after me. Say, Jesus. Today, I declare I'm a follower. I'm all in. I ask you today to change me, forgive me, wash me clean, make me new. I confess my sin. 
I'm imperfect, broken, but thank you that your grace is sufficient for me to cover me. I embrace you as my Savior, and I love you, Jesus, my Lord, my God. I'm a follower, fully devoted, disciple in your name. Amen. Stand to your feet, church. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray a prayer of devotion over our church. Devotion, devotion. We will be the few in the land of the most. We will be devoted, fully devoted followers. Jesus, in this place, I release and speak devotion. This was not a message of condemnation or guilt, but one calling us higher. God, you want fully devoted followers of you. You want devotion. The potion, God, is devotion. So may we walk as devoted followers of you. We're choosing you. We're embracing you. We're putting you above all things. God, right now, may devotion be released in the hearts of your people. If there's any other things that we've idolized, idols in our lives, we've elevated over you. We bring them low. We bring them down. We take them off the shelf and we put you up. Our Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, we're devoted to you in your name. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.